0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast i'm the host sean boyce i'd like to welcome my guest to the show today Donnie shimamoto who is the founder and managing director for enterprise technologies hello Donnie. how are you and thanks for being on the show
1: hey sean thanks for having me i'm excited to be here
0: yeah i'm super excited to talk about the topics we got prepared today but before we do so it would be great if you could give our listeners a little bit more information and background about yourself and how you got to where you are today
1: sure uh i always like to describe myself as a non-traditional cpa so i am a cpa my background is in audit uh, but i don't do audit tax or bookkeeping anymore uh, what my firm does and i have a small uh, firm we're technically based out a hawaii we're 12 people and what we do is we help companies and other accounting firms through their business transformations. So we're basically living um, what a lot of people are telling firms to do, which is to adopt advisory services. And we're super specialized because we work through these bigger transformative changes.
0: Super interesting. And thank you for sharing. Um, Got a lot of questions I want to ask you. I know you have a ton of experience and there's a bunch of topics we can kind of dive into a little bit more as well, too. We can even talk more about the advisory services component, because I know that's been a huge industry push. But um, some of the topics that we've kind of got prepared to talk about was, you know, establishing the right setup and cadence balance as it pertains to figuring out hybrid work, right? So um, probably largely accelerated, I would say, due to the pandemic. There were some obviously pretty significant changes that happened in terms of the workforce and what could be done and where it could be done from that hybrid work became, you know, and it's starting to look like kind of a new established model for what it's largely going to look like moving forward. I'd love to hear more from you, talk about kind of the work that you've done, the firms that you've worked with, what the latest is regarding, you know, what firms are preferring and what you guys are recommending.
1: Oh, uh, that, that's a lot. <laughs> the, um, the good thing that I think we're seeing is that firms are adopting hybrid work. Um, no one thinks that there's are going to go back to quote normal. Um, So everyone's adopting this new normal with that. I think there's been a ton of talk already about your typical, you know, cybersecurity measures. Uh, So what I like to look at in this space is what's left and the biggest hole that we see right now in a lot of cybersecurity measures is the protection of the home environment. And especially if you're working with home devices. So that's probably the biggest area where we always encourage, hey, if you're letting people take stuff home, you know, make sure you've got the laptops encrypted, but also think about the security of the home network. So we're recommending that people have their IT departments or IT consultants, you know, do a quick home assessment of the home network. This isn't like a penetration test or vulnerability test of the network. It's really, you know, check the firewall settings, make sure the Wi-Fi is encrypted properly. If the the home firewall has uh, antivirus and intrusion protection built into it, make sure those are turned on, make sure the subscriptions are active. And then I think people forget that their their home environment is not as protected as the corporate environment. And so that's why it's it's not just um, about your own device, but now you've got roommates or family devices that are not protected that are maybe not as well protected that are on that network. So you actually have to be a lot more careful when you're operating at home. And then we all tend to be a little more lax because we're at home, right? And we might check something that we wouldn't normally check because we in the office, maybe other people would have seen it on our computer. So just making sure that people are aware and maintaining that vigilance is so important. And you know the, the numbers actually show how much of a risk this was because during the pandemic, the last two years, we saw a huge spike in cybersecurity incidences, and a lot of that, I mean, is, is indicative of people simply not working from the office. So yeah uh, like that's probably the huge remaining uh, risk area.
0: It's a really good point. Now changing the network and extending it all the way to the home changes entirely essentially what you need to protect. And then Mm -hmm. at the home, like you said, not just more distractions, probably more opportunity for vulnerability as well. Too, as you think through, you know, now you're, now you're not, you know, as a firm, technically you may not be controlling everything in terms of how basically the individual that's working for your firm, but now from home accesses the internet potentially with your equipment or maybe with home equipment. So the number of combinations of what needs to get managed or essentially verified to make sure that you're doing everything you can to be protect or protect your environment all of your data and information uh, increases probably exponentially at that point so I'm yeah I mean there I have to imagine that managing that becomes a bit more challenging for a firm so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about like what best practices you would recommend for firms to follow as they're hoping to be able to do so as securely as they can
1: sure uh, for us, we generally recommend the the VDI or virtual desktop or a terminal server like that type of a configuration because that way at least all the data is still primarily staying within the home within the corporate walls per se or within the corporate network, and that way only the screens going out and uh, that actually makes me think of you know another way of looking at risk in the home environment is the physical risks in the home environment. So whether someone um, can overhear you talking, right? Think about can you hear your neighbors and what they're saying? And you know, when we're in meetings, we tend to talk louder than we normally would because we feel like we have to project so the mic can hear us. And uh, maybe, maybe there's a neighbor that's hearing. You know, you ask a question, or if you have it on speakerphone, you've maybe got uh, they can hear what the client is saying. So if you're asking, "No, oh, what's your social security number?" or "Tell me your bank routing number, so I can add it on your tax return." you know, or even just taking a credit card number, right? Like a lot of that is just within audio range. So kind of think about who's around you or what your neighbors are or how close your neighbors are. Um, for people that live in like apartment buildings or condos, think about where the echo, right? Is it actually echoing down? Is Are you right next to another building? So it actually echoes between the two buildings and multiple people can hear. So lots of additional things to think about there. Um, as I say that, like being near a window, a lot of us like to work because then we can see outside. But if you're actually, if it's actually where the outside can see your screen, then if someone realizes you're working with any of this PII and, and can use the zoom, whether it's on a camera or in binoculars or whatever, just, or even a camera, right? A digital camera, these are like super good now. So there may be ways for them to siphon information off. I know. I know. It sounds like we're like telling one like be really uh, almost paranoid, uh, but that is kind of what we want as a security person. Yeah. It's like you know, just think about where it could be because it's these it's these accidental things that we just don't think about that causes the issue, right? And then it and then I don't think any of us like dealing with oh I got to change all my credit cards. I got to change this right. Right. Or somebody stole my identity. It's so not got to get it unlocked and I have all these issues now. Like none of us likes dealing with that, even if it's just one person um, that's affected. So we really got to be a lot more careful and think about, you know, this new environment, the home environment that we're working with.
0: Yeah. It's a great point. I think, you know, when people, you probably think about the movies when they think about like hacking and security <laughs> vulnerabilities and things like that, where it's somebody on the other side of the world using some advanced technology no one's even ever heard of. To hack you completely digitally and you'll never know it, right? Uh, in reality, a lot of stuff gets stolen because like passwords get written down on a piece of paper or something like that. Like it's something silly like that, but something nonetheless, like can be really damaging and something that someone can relatively easily exploit. So uh, even if you're, you know, you're talking about there's a lot of personally identifiable information accounting firms have access to and are transmitting back and forth or talking about quite a bit, uh, really need to be as protective over that as you can as if almost you were at the office, right? Um, You should probably, conducting yourself in that way when you're there, likely should extend to anywhere where you're managing client data and information, as that'll give you the best opportunity to protect it as much as possible.
1: Well, actually, I like to say you should protect it more because when you're in the office environment, you're behind the business class firewall, you're behind all the protections. There's, a, it, you know, you're in a secure area. When you're outside of the office, you are not in that secure area. So you really have to be more vigilant and perhaps a bit paranoid as I indicated. You know, and the, the, A lot of this comes back to, to it's about the end user or right the individual accountant that's actually doing stuff. And so the other, the one other thing I can, I just thought of is the, you know, the need to do phishing testing. So actually sending emails that look like phishing emails, but that someone may actually, uh, click on to see, are they being aware? Are they, are they watching what's going on, right? Are are they checking the link before they click on it? Are they scanning the, the, um, attachment before they open it? because that's that's the biggest area that we're seeing the breaches come through now. And so making sure that you're running these testing tools, these phishing testing tools, which don't cost a lot. uh, I'm trying to remember that I I wanna say it was like four, six, maybe I know it wasn't more than $10 per person per year um, that you can can quickly mitigate some of those risks just by keeping people aware. And uh, some of these have minimum purchase Quantities, and so um, it's one of the things my firm does is we we have clients that we gather together, and we see like, hey, we if we can purchase in bulk, then they can get a discount. Um, So that's something that we've done to help our clients as well. We're happy to extend that if other people are trying to use the same products. Uh, But yeah, that keeping that awareness high is is really important.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And the the training, especially with being able to do the phishing attack training, I think that's really important because, like you said. Even if you button everything up, you know, status still comes through that port, potentially the firewall, right? People still need access to the internet for business purposes, things like that it comes through email as well, too. And if you click on that email, you don't know where it's from. It's got an attachment in it, that type of thing. That sometimes it all takes, right? In terms of getting yourself into some real trouble. So the, the testing and training into that seems like a unbelievable deal in terms of the price, as opposed to having to potentially deal with the consequences if you do, in fact, get infected with something that could really damage your network.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's what I think a lot of people don't think about. And, that, and that's the way I tell people to kind of measure this, you know, to think about yeah. what would it cost you if you were to actually have a data breach or if you were to get subject to ransomware? How much lost revenue would you have? How much lost time would you have? Now, think about those things when you're looking at these prices, because all of these little things like a better antivirus, more intrusion protection, tech, uh, phishing, testing, like all these things, don't cost a lot in and of themselves, but when you add them up, they start to cost a lot, but do they cost more than actually having that data breach? And if you were to actually have the data breach or the ransomware attack, it's not just about the dollars, it's lost time, it's potential reputational risk, because if you have a data or even think you have a data breach and you need to then notify your clients and say, hey, we we suspect, that your data may have been breached. We're not sure, you know, and then you got to give them like identity theft protection and all that other stuff. So, but the, the, you know, the client then feels the brunt is like, oh, and then now they're upset with you. Right. And so now you have other issues and customer experience issues to deal with, not just the breach itself.
0: Yeah. It certainly adds up quickly. And that's the last thing you're going to want to have to do. I mean, at most accounting firms that I know of time to go around is usually in very short supply. So the last thing you need is to deal with a major headache, something like this, like you said, has, there's very expensive elements that are even intangible components to this where just like the damage to the brand reputation alone, having to reach out to a client say like, hey, you know, we, you trusted, you trusted us with your data. And, you know, this unfortunate thing happened. Um, that's a very difficult conversation to have to have. And you really don't want to have to have it if you don't need to. So it's yeah. probably best to be as preventative and protective as you possibly can to avoid it altogether.
1: Completely agree.
0: I've said. There was something you mentioned, Donnie, that I wanted to explore a little bit further for anyone who is unaware of what it means or how it works. The VDI infrastructure um, is a great, innovative solution that can help uh, in terms of providing convenience, but still doing so in a, a very a much more secure way. Can you describe for folks kind of what that is a little bit more so that they have a better understanding and what it might look like and how they would use something like that?
1: So VDI, Virtual Desktop Infrastructure, that's a very specific te- term associated with VMware. Um, you'll hear it also as Windows Virtual Desktop, which is more of the Microsoft, and Microsoft is now pushing Azure Virtual Desktop. But basically what we're seeing in all the our terminal services or remote desktop services, like there's tons of name for it. But really the foundation of it is that the desktops are not physical desktops, they are virtual, they sit on a server. Uh, in the office or in the data center, or it could be in Azure or, or on AWS, right? And uh, that way they're sitting with the servers, usually, if you're working off a server based program. So all of this is secured behind, again, the corporate firewalls. You're in the data center if, if that's, if such is the case, or even if it's even the, the company's server room. So these normally are much more secured, but the biggest thing is that data is not moving out onto individual laptops or devices. So everyone is effectively looking through a plane of glass and uh, interacting with the server back in the office. Now, the, the biggest downside to that is that if you have people that are in a disconnected environment, like the auditor that gets shoved down into the basement and can't get signal or network connection for some reason, or someone like me that travels a lot, so you're on the plane and we you know, we can't always have a good or reliable network connection. That can sometimes make it difficult to work um, for those, but probably for the majority of, of um, you know, people that have a regular network connection that are just going to maybe be at home, um, or even if you're at a conference, most conferences now have Wi-Fi available. So it should actually meet the majority of the needs.
0: Well said. Yeah, the VDI infrastructure is a really, um, I think, flexible component in terms of uh, And then being able to share the resources on the server, uh, that's a great environment, right? You can store and save settings and all that kind of stuff and then make them accessible from anywhere. But at the same time, makes a lot easier for the firm to enforce a lot of security protocols. So it's a lot easier to protect as well, too. Great example. And uh, firms that haven't explored it, I definitely recommend checking it out. It sounds like it might be a fit for your firm. Um, Thank you for um, educating us on you know a lot of these important principles and cybersecurity, Donnie. I know there's a couple of other topics we were interested in exploring as well, too, that you're also passionate about. One of those kind of being engagement at the firm and then another being, you know, uh, and probably tied to that kind of coming up with creative ways to fix your recruiting and retention problems, uh, because I know those are plaguing a lot of firms at the moment as well also. I wanted to kind of get your take on that topic as well also, because I know that's something that you've been talking a lot a bit more uh, frequently lately as well.
1: Yeah, that's actually a natural bridge, too. So we, we just talked about working from home or remote work and really we've talked about the technical aspects of it and protecting a lot of the data. But the part that's getting forgotten more often than not, or maybe maybe not forgotten, but not as well managed really is the employee or the person context of things. So how are we actually ensuring that our people are engaged? Uh, You know, there's this word of employee engagement that's been floating around. uh, That's looking at, you know, how, how much of a connection does the employee feel um, back to the office and back to everyone else in the office. So for people that have worked together for a while, that's pretty easy because we already have relationships, you know, from being in the kitchen together or in the talking in the hallway or even just being in the bathroom, right? Having that casual conversation as you're coming and going. And uh, I think most people forget that, especially those that are new to our companies. So new hires, whether experienced or just out of school, you know, they don't have that connection with everyone else. So how do they create that connection with everyone else? And then even with those that you do have a strong connection, if previously you were one of those managers that did kind of management by walking around and, you know, you would grab someone from the cubicle or whatever and be like, Hey, let's go grab a coffee or let's go have lunch. And and you would ask them what's going on, or you'd see how busy they were and they didn't step up or they're working late. Right. You don't see any of that now that everyone's working from home or, or even if they're in hybrid and you're only, they're only coming in once or twice You know, during the week, uh, we just don't see a lot of that. So what it forces us to do is to actually make the way that we manage more intentional, uh, intentional communication, intentional touch points to see how someone is doing and to help them figure out, uh, maybe there's more training that they need. Maybe there's a problem that, uh, obstacle that they need help getting removed, uh, or even just how are they? Right, A lot of uh, a lot now you'll see where people go into meetings and they just start the meeting and it's all business. But if we were in the office, those that came in earlier would have found their favorite chairs and we would have sat next to the people we liked and we would have had the little conversations. Oh, how's it going? You know, oh, you look a little tired today, right? All those little conversations all would have happened. And that's all creating rapport. That's creating connection between people. And again, with it when we're in remote, if, if the meeting is like, and especially if no one's on video, that becomes problematic because you can't see how people react are reaction. You can't see that eye contact or if they're busy looking somewhere else and not even paying attention. So like for my firm, we require everyone to be on video, both for internal meetings and meetings with clients. And even if the client doesn't turn on their video, we require that we keep our video on so that the client can see us, that we're listening, um, that they can, at least for their side, even if we can't see their side, they feel like they've made a connection to us. So a lot of this whole thing is, you know, this, this concept of engagement, which I think applies to the employee side, as well as applies to the client side.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. You bring up a number of like unique challenges presented and probably largely accelerated by the pandemic. That working remotely now, we take a lot of the things that we used to have for granted uh, in terms of being able to have those side conversations and just assume that you'll be able to catch up with someone, not just professionally, but personally by just bumping into them around the office. Nowadays, that may not be happening at all uh, with how things have changed, but that's an important element to make sure that we, you know, that those. Connections remain strong, right? And that we're understanding how everyone's doing. We can uh, really keep engagement high. Otherwise, it has tendency. I mean, remote work, and I've seen this, you know, I've been in tech for a long time and I've seen it. I've been working remotely for a while now, but not just, you know, exclusively, a lot of in-person stuff as well, too. So, um, but for someone who goes from working in an office environment predominantly to working remotely predominantly, that could be a pretty significant shift. And like, while there are some advantages to it, of course, it can be really like lonely, and uh, you can feel kind of disconnected from your team. You can really miss that element. So, uh, I like the what you shared in terms of the intentionality of uh, being managing more, managing with intention more significantly than you had previously. These aren't things that just because they don't happen naturally anymore doesn't mean that you shouldn't be investing in those because you were getting value out of that as was your employee. And nowadays, if it isn't happening as frequently or if at all, that can lead to unintended consequences as well, too. Which I imagine that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about next. If you don't do these things, what you know, what kind of risks can that um, unfortunately make your firm have to have to deal with eventually?
1: Right. And you mentioned recruiting and retention earlier, so uh, let's retention really is what this where this risk will start to surface itself because yep. you won't, the, you know, people won't feel connected. They will. They'll. They'll leave to say, well, I don't know anybody else at the at the firm or nobody cares about me, right? So why do I stay here? And you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, we heard all of this ghosting of, that was occurring where people would just disappear. They wouldn't even tell employers that they're leaving. They would just yep. stop working and stop reporting in. And it was just like, whoa, what's going on, right? So we, we've got that piece that's going on there. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, showing your employees that you are using the latest technology right the, this has been this conversation that's been going on for a while where it's like well you want to have better tech so that you can uh, sh- you know you can attract employees well now because we can't we don't have a lot of employees available right there's a there's a there's a um, shortage of, of qualified accountants. What we really need to do is, I think, two things. One is to adopt automation, which maybe we haven't before. We saw, we saw a ton of adoption and automation because that's what we help people with is get, get, figure out what's the right apps and what's the best way to use them. And then how do you secure them? But we saw a ton of automation more than we've ever seen in the past over the last two years and especially over the last year. And uh, that's going to help some. But then you also have to have the technology that's going to facilitate the what the employee is also doing. And, uh, you know, you, you hear people complain about uh, technology being a disintermediator, right? All these millennials and now the Gen Zs that are coming in and they just like to sit there and text the whole time. Well, welcome to the post-pandemic. Like we're all just instant messaging back and forth, which is essentially what they're doing. But I always like to say like, technology it's just a tool and the good or evil of it is really in the way that you use it so if you feel like it's disintermediating and because we're not having face-to-face well you need to get on there and say hey well let's switch to a video meeting right instead of shooting that email it's like hey can we talk grab some time or uh, i like instant messaging because now i, I am present because i can see on someone, but next to someone's name, whether or not they're online or not. And instead of sending that email back, I can just message them and say, like, here, are you available? Can we talk through this really quickly, right? So use the technology to actually help identify ways to um, replace that in office. Cause what you would have done before is you would have gone out of your office and looked at the other person's office or their cubicle, right? And said, are they there? Well, now you just look at the presence indicator and do this, do the same thing. Uh, so you've you've got that side. You know, on, on the other hand, uh, the evil side, let's say of the technology is I've I've heard stories of some partners who are looking at the presence indicator and going, oh, look, it turned yellow. That means they're not working. They're not at their computer. <laughs> and then you see them go they're like, well, I'm gonna go ping them right now and see if they're actually there. And it's like, that's actually the worst thing you can do because no one likes to be micromanaged. We're all professionals here right? And if you start to do that, then they're going to really start to worry and be like, oh, I better make sure that I always look green so that they think I'm working, right? And they, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard I had one friend, she was at her sister's house and she goes, yeah, my sister kept telling me, move the mouse, move the mouse. Because <laughs> the sister was getting lunch <laughs> ready for them. And she's in she's, my message, sister was like, move the mouse so that they, they think I'm still working. It's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And when I hear stories like that, I'm like, the problem is not the technology or the person. Yeah. The problem is your hiring process. Mm-hmm. You're not hiring the right people if you have to worry about whether or not they're working or not.
0: Good point, Brad. Any tool can be used wrong, uh, even the most, even the simplest tools out there. So, mm-hmm. in terms, in, instead of making technology kind of the scapegoat in that instance, like you said, there's kind of a right and wrong way to use a particular tool. If you got the right one for the right job, then using it in the right way is all that much important as well also. So uh, well said. Yeah. I mean, you don't, don't want to create an environment. I think folks have thought that switching from you know in-person work to remote work was going to lead to all these like terrible consequences. I think there's a ton of data out there now, which shows us that not only are most like more productive, um, mm-hmm. many of them are happier as well, too, because they can do a lot more kind of they can figure out a little bit better balance a lot of people still want that office presence as well too i think that's also important especially for those that want it or really need it but at the same time you know it, you need to it's really a, a kind of the ability to kind of adapt and evolve and figure out like okay well let's take a look at the situation in terms of what did happen did we get more work done did we get less work done are people happier are they not happier like what what are the results of that and then figure out the right combination probably for your firm.
1: And I, I think what you just said is so important because we don't have an answer for what works we, and we don't have what works or what works for one firm may not work for another firm. It depends on culture. It depends on your people. It depends like my firm. We hired our first remote worker in 2011. So we've been operating virtually for over 10 years. Uh, it's the norm. For, we were completely unaffected by the pandemic from an internal like meetings productivity standpoint, because we already were doing this and we had already been, comp- we actually were, have been complete, almost completely virtual um, for about five or six years as well. So, you know, all of our people are used to, t- to not having be physically together to actually do stuff. And uh, But what works for our firm won't work for a 100-person firm or a 200-person firm. Like every, every firm has their own nuances. And a big piece of this is this corporate culture. What is your corporate culture like? How do you guys operate? And adjusting some of these or figuring out which of these different types of techniques work or don't work. It, it's uh, art more than a science.
0: True. Good point. Yeah, it's definitely an element of figuring out kind of what the right blend is for your firm. And it doesn't need to be all of one or all of the other. In fact, many of them wind up with some percentage in the middle, right? As not like, this is what makes sense for us. Like you said, um, as long as it works, it works, right? So figure out what works for you and stick yeah. with that. Excellent. Well, and, um, and, yeah, great Adopt
1: advice. the um, adopt a whole experimental mindset. So maybe you'll try Definitely. one thing or another thing. And if it doesn't work, then throw it by the side, grab the lessons learned and keep moving yeah. forward. Don't be like, oh, that didn't work. So we're going to stop. No, you gotta <laughs> keep moving forward and keep trying different things.
0: Good point. Yeah. It's not, it's not an all or nothing sometimes, right? That it, like you said, the experimental mindset, there's something to be learned from any kind of experimentation you want to do at your firm. And there's the evaluating it and trying to be as objective as you can in terms of like, okay, that was cool, but maybe we didn't get it exactly right this time. That's okay. Right. But still mm-hmm. any progress is good progress. Right. And then you can build on that from there, right? Keep the momentum going. Yeah. Great point. Uh, Donnie, thank you a ton for being here and sharing your knowledge. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you before I let you go. The first is if there are any resources or anything you'd recommend where the audience can go to kind of learn more about anything we talked about here or anything else you think is valuable and worth recommending.
1: I'm going to point them towards um, one of our new initiatives. So I, I say new, it, we, I think we actually made a year, year old already at this point. So we've launched the Center for Accounting Transformation because we realized that there was a big need for just understanding of what's going on and some, some courses around, you know, what are my options? Again, like you and I said that none of those is, a, is the way to do it. There's just different ways to approach stuff. Um, so definitely encourage people, come check us out. It's not just me, but it's what we're doing is we're gathering a bunch of different thought leaders and innovators and change makers from around the profession. Uh, and so the URL for that is www.improvetheworld.net. And uh, yeah, come take a look, we've got a whole bunch of different stuff and uh, different disciplines. We've got HR people, marketing, um, IT, traditional accounting. Um, we've got some psychologists and we're, we're partnering with like um, some professors to do some research studies. Uh, we've got DE&I, like we, we're like really running the gamut on all of these kind of things that are helping to push the profession forward.
0: Very cool. And a big fan of the URL as well, too. Uh, For anyone that's listening to the episode, we'll link to uh, anything, Donnie, that you've recommended here in the show notes as well, too. So if you want to double check those resources, please go there to check them. And then uh, last question I have for you, Donnie, is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch?
1: The best way to reach me is LinkedIn because um, that's, that's always kind of open. That's It's also where I um, I push a lot of stuff out where if I read an article and I'm like, ah, oh, this makes sense, I always push it out with some context on why I think it's important. Uh, like today, I read two different ones on cryptocurrencies and uh, I just push it out with a little context of, hey, maybe we need to think about this. Maybe we need to look at that. So um, Donnie Shimamoto on LinkedIn. I'm also Donnie ITK, Donnie with a Y, Donnie ITK. Uh, on pretty much all the social media. So if you're looking for me, that's my handle on all of them.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Donnie. Uh, We'll link to that in the show notes as well also. And then thanks again for being here and sharing your knowledge with myself and our audience.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks
0: for listening to this episode of Accounting Automation. I hope you found it valuable. I help accounting firms scale their profit exponentially without needing to hire any additional accountants. So if your firm is in growth mode and can't keep up, I'd love to talk to you more about how I can empower your firm to do more with less through automation and technology. To learn more, visit my website, nextstep.io, or email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, S T E P dot I-O. Hey folks, Sean here, and I want to thank you for engaging with my content and encourage you to sign up for my free five-day video email course called Bottleneck Buster. Bottleneck Buster is designed to show you how to boost the profitability of your firm without hiring. You'll learn where your firm is wasting time, how to get that time back, and how to reinvest it to drive greater profitability. Sign up for the course at bottleneckbuster.com.